Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. My guest for today's episode is Adwa, a dear friend of almost 10 years. Adwa is equal parts candor and compassion, and she has caused me to examine and rethink positions I take in every area of my life, from politics to parenting to faith. When I put out an open call for storied recipes, Adwa responded immediately by giving me the recipe for Kelawele. Kelawele and the tight-knit Ghanaian community were the constants in Adwa's childhood which was split between Ghana, where she was raised by her fiery entrepreneurial grandmother, and the U.S., where her industrious and loving mother taught her the rules of the kitchen and further instilled the value of community. Adjua, thank you so much for joining me as my first guest. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. So, I'm guessing most of my listeners are like me and had not had Kelaway late before. So for their sake, can you just tell me a little bit about um, what it is? Okay. Um, Kelaway is like a Ghanaian dish. It could be a, a you know, street dish or a dish that you actually serve formally at home as part of your meal. Um, and it is made with ripe plantains um, and what makes kelawele different from just frying a plantain is that it's actually almost sort of battered um, in a spices. So there's onion, ginger, um, red pepper, and a little bit of salt and water that creates this um, thick sauce kind of thing that you you toss the um, the kelawele in and then fry it. So it gives it a bit of like a sweet, spicy um, taste. Mm-hmm. And really, it, you can um, identify kelewele, um again, from just frying plantains outside of the batter is that it's cut into smaller pieces. So mm-hmm. the way I make them cut, cut the plantain um, lengthwise in mm-hmm. fours, so like, and then I cut them that way. So you get a little maybe like a quarter, half inch, quarter inch pieces. Okay. You know, pick them up and pop them in your mouth. Mm, you had me at battered. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 lightly battered, so it's not you know popcorn chicken, you know where you could just no. see slightly battered, so you get the flavor. But because there's no flour, right? Flour. Yeah, it's battered in flavor. It's delicious. It is delicious, <laughs> and <laughs> I think the other thing I love about it is how beautiful it is. Yeah, you know if if you're paying attention to what you're doing and you don't burn them, you get a pretty <laughs> color. Beautiful, like golden brown. Yeah. Yes, it's such a gorgeous, gorgeous color. So obviously, Kelawele is very near and dear to your heart. Um, do you think there are any words or adjectives that people could use that would describe both you and Kelawele? Obviously, golden. <laughs> <laughs> golden. Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> You know, beautiful, uh, spicy, spicy Ghanaian. Uh, I have a bit of a little bit of a kick to me <laughs> some days, <laughs> and Kelly has that too. It's one of the many things I love about you, Ajua. <laughs> that and that you came and taught me how to season my cast iron pans. They're so beautiful now, and I'm almost oh man, 
<laughs> I'm almost addicted to seasoning them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, the cast iron. I mean, you know, it helps with the coloring. What I find is, you know, if you're using something like a cast iron, you'll get a really pretty color. Um, but you have to be mindful if your pan isn't uh, seasoned well, because what happens is, you mm-hmm. know, you'll lose all that stuff because it'll stick to the bottom and it won't peel up. Right. So right. Color. And um, that would be a terrible shame to lose that gorgeous yeah. color. So prior to my cast iron, if anybody's interested in, in making it, what I did was I actually would, I had a, one of those like personal small deep fryers. Mm-hmm. I used to use those because again, I'm just cooking for myself, but my, my family, uh, my mom, my aunt, you know, they usually have like the normal size, um, deep fryers and that's mm-hmm. what they cook it in. Um, just to, because they, they, you, they never just made a little bit because there's always people <laughs> around. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, now that people know enough about Kelawele that their interest is piqued, I'd love to turn a little bit to your story, um, which starts in Ghana, correct? I actually was born in D.C. Okay. So I was born in Southeast D.C. Um, I went to live in Ghana when I was about nine months old. Okay. Um, I lived with my grandmother. My mom came back up here. She just really wanted us to, mm-hmm. just she wanted us to pick up the culture and the language and things like mm-hmm. that. And I'm mm-hmm. sure it also made life a little easier on them as they were getting established. And um, I was there for seven years. And then I, my mom made me come back. And then I had a hard time adjusting back here. I didn't like it. Okay. So then um, I remember I did first grade in Montgomery County. I went to Glen Allen Elementary School. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember... I liked school, but I didn't like it. I, I was just too much for me. I remember mm. always being like, why can't I do this? Why am I always in trouble? Mm. Uh, uh, and I remember they told my mom I had ADHD and my mom was like, <laughs> she does not. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, so I went back to Ghana and then I finally, my mom made me come back up here um, around fourth, fifth grade. Okay. Um, and she was just like, okay, we'll, we can't do back and forth. I, I do have a lot of like great memories associated with Ghana, um, but none have been, most of them are childhood. Yeah. Uh, I think the great thing about Ghana, I think everybody is pretty happy-go-lucky. Um, mm. I mean, I, I remember just tons of joy uh, growing up, um, mm. you know, being, and there was a lot of freedom. We were, I was a free, mm. like, you know, we were, able to go places um, <laughs> I remember you know I just go to a neighbor's house and sleep there and then they'll return mm. me um which is not something I recommend anybody doing now <laughs> but you know, it's very personal um and my grandmother everybody knows my grandmother tell me a little bit about your grandmother my grandmother just celebrated her 75th birthday party um, her oh. birthday she had a party last Saturday and now she, she okay so you weren't able to be there no, I was not able to be there. Um, but I say that to say uh, I got a message from my mother that had uh-huh. like 25 attachments. <laughs> so 25 <laughs> attachments were a photo shoot my grandmother did and made someone take her picture <laughs> for her birthday party flyer banner thing. Did she style it? Like she chose an outfit and everything for it? Absolutely. Why would she not? Oh, I love it. I love it. 
my mother sent it to me and she goes, here's your grandma. And I was, oh <laughs> my gosh. What soul did grandma make do this? Because I'm certain of those 25 pictures, there are at least 10,000 shots. Oh my she goodness. probably looked through everyone and said, nope, do this one again. Nope, do this one again. But oh. my mother is a character. Uh, she's very defiant. Uh, mm-hmm. And I almost feel like growing up when she did, you kind of had to be as a woman. Mm. And I, I just think that as a woman, you know, growing up when she did, I mean, she's 75, um, there weren't a lot of protections there for her yeah, or for any other woman growing up in her time. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to, it's kind of like, you know, they, they just have to defend and scrap for themselves to protect yeah. themselves. Um, yeah. yeah, right. So um, your grandmother was like a mother to you when you were yeah so from the time you were nine months to nine years she was yeah. she was your mother for all intents and purposes mm-hmm. so, so how would you describe her as a mother um she a lot of, she's she's a lot of fun she's very strict mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. I would say that's just about a perfect combination um you know um even now like when she's up here and my mom's getting on my nerves I tell my grandma <laughs> Did she make your mom get in line? <laughs> one, time, one time, my mom was like, "Stop tattling on me, to you. <laughs> Ridiculous. She's 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 just a ball of fire, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. She She was working a lot then. I I mean I guess so. I never noticed it as such, you know. Um, but a lot of the things she did was at home. Um, okay. And and my grandma owned a bar. In a nightclub. Really? She did. And so uh, that's part of the reason she was well when people knew her. And so, <laughs> um, and so, so she had a storefront and the storefront op- operated in the, um, in the, in the daytime. And so, okay. you know, come by like, you know, groceries and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, and she, uh, her house um, in the front of her house, which is this big kind of compound. Um, and it was fenced, like gated off. Okay. And in so in the area that was gated off, right in the middle was this huge tree. Okay. Um, I served as kind of like the covering. It was huge. And so then uh, at night, you know, people came to have drinks and she like there it was like, you know, they'll eat. There was like a restaurant piece and then there's music. Um, okay. So people were always there. Oh wow. Well, now did she serve Kelawele? Um. So Kelawele was always there. Because, you know, the bar area, like at night it was the bar, but in the daytime, you know, it was just people came to visit and be sitting out there. Uh, we used to eat the um, the tree, had fruit, but we would always eat off of there. And uh, my grandma would like cook, you know, and we'd be out there. So Kelly Willett was definitely part of the story there. And she'd always uh, mm-hmm. have like that with peanuts because um, we would she would boil peanuts. Um, mm, like yes. So now that you've brought up trees and we're talking about a plantain dish, I'm kind of curious about a couple of things. You know, trees are so cyclical here, right? Like um, apple trees in the fall, um, so on and so forth. So in a tropical climate like that, do trees still have seasons or are they kind of ever bearing? So there is a dry season and a rainy season. Uh huh. And um, I'll have to research a little bit more to be more confident in my answer, but I do know that that has an impact. Um, yeah. Okay. But I, I believe for the most part, the trees are always in this season of bearing and, mm-hmm. you know, they're harvested, obviously. 
So right, right, it, yep. Um, but okay. Because of the weather, we don't. They they certainly don't go through a, you know, we're all done. Our trees, you know, our leaves have fallen off, and there's nothing. <laughs> if they've been harvested, you know, obviously it takes time. So I believe. Okay. Farm, my grandmother owned a farm, actually. Oh, okay. So You're the same one who owned a bar and a nightclub. Yes. Yes. This was a very industrious woman. Yes, with like I think my mom says less than a seventh grade education, to be honest. Wow. Um, but yeah, so actually, we would also go into the village, um, which was cool. Oh, okay. And it, there was farms. I mean, she had a farm, so I remember having. Well, we'd go out, we'd hoe, we'd get things out. Um, I remember, but we would oh. just pick mushrooms and eat them. Wow. And it has to be God's grace, or that that, or like the mushrooms that grow here don't grow there. <laughs> now we think about it, I'm like, uh, adults, we had no knowledge of what's poisonous. Or what's, you know. What would make you high and what wouldn't? I'm I, Listen, I don't recall being high, but if it, was a, if it was a good mushroom, then maybe you shouldn't recall it. That's right. Um, maybe you no, just had good dreams like, one night. We would, uh, we would go out and help um, and we would we would pick mushrooms and, you know, she'd use them for soup. Um, my cousins and I and, you know, friends in the area. I mean, it was a big farmland. Um, so then, okay, so plantains, do they grow on trees? They grow on trees. They actually grow the same way bananas grow. And um, how is that? <laughs> they do grow on trees. Okay. <laughs> they have like a conical shape, like cone almost. Oh, um, oh really? Yeah, uh, you know those kids' toys that where the kids will take a circle? Yeah, the stackable stack rings. Yes. Yeah, stack them, and it goes from large, the large to the okay. small. Imagine okay. those, but upside down. Right? Oh. They hang, the plantains hang off of them on these stalks. You have huh, to it's, one. Isn't it crazy that I eat something so, re- now I don't eat plantains regularly, but I eat bananas regularly, and I have no idea what the tree they come from look like. I mean, I'm a, I'm I, a little embarrassed about that I, right now. I found that out when I realized I didn't know how pineapples grew. And I looked at <laughs> I was like, what? No, you know, it's just one more evidence of how removed we are from our food. Yeah. And, you know, they have these like large, like uh, these large leaves. That's mm-hmm. what I remember about them is these leaves. Mm. Um, they are these large green leaves. Like, I want to say leafy, but that doesn't help in this. Oh, like uh, fringy. Like they have a fringe on the edge. They do. But I just remember like you can just like stand under one and kind of hold the both sides of the leaves out and cover yourself if it's raining. Like that's what I. Oh, remember. wow. Um, but, that's a big leaf. Well, again, I was a child. So let's. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> you weren't an infant. <laughs> okay. You've educated me about plantain trees. Now tell me a little bit more. Your grandmother would make these, um, the Kelebele for you, your family, the whole neighborhood? We're so it's very it was very communal and so okay. people are over, then she'll just start frying plantains or, and we, we still do it now when people come to visit. We'll uh-huh. just oh are they plantains? Let's fry fry plantains. <laughs> now did she when she cooked outside that was over like an open fire or was there like a grill? No, open fire. Okay. Um, and so and- how do you um like in a pan, if the grease splatters or whatever, that create some pretty big sparks if you have an open fire was that uh, open fire but not pans as in like a frying pan that we have oh, here. okay Almost a wok type thing oh so the sides are a little higher yeah, things don't splatter higher. quite as much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay 
And okay. also, we just knew better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that we just knew better not to be there, you know? Okay. Okay. And I remember so, when I see her cooking, I'd be like, oh, she's cooking. Let me go on the other side because we get too close, she'll find a job for you. <laughs> so that's so there of, were never children around the open flame. They they were smarter than that. <laughs> but, yeah, but, um, but sometimes she'll have us sit with her and watch and learn. Um, but Well, that's of, what I wanted to ask. So was she the person who taught you how to make this, your grandmother? I think it was a combination of her, my aunts, my mom, like everybody – and everybody still kind of has a way they cut their plantains differently. Uh, yes. But my aunt cuts them larger. And actually, she actually doesn't cut hers. She cuts hers in like half moons. She doesn't Ooh. cut it in fours. So hers are a little chunkier and they'll have like, you know, they're more half moons than like. You know. I like that. It just sounds so pretty to have a half moon shape. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But of course, less surface area for the frying. So. Yeah. Really, there's a trade-off there for sure. So um, tell me about your adjustment to America, especially um, when it comes to this communal part. When you came here and then you were with your mom and your stepdad? Yeah. Okay. So you were here with your mom and your stepdad. I mean, America's not exactly such a communal place normally. Was it like that for you or not so much? Well, I think it was different. I think um, so, you know, even here, there's still we still had a Ghanaian community. Right. It's still very communal. So mm-hmm. I don't think I noticed, you know, mm-hmm. I I realized I, you know, I was living in kind of like two worlds almost. Right. OK. So there was school and friends um, and then there was just family and cousin and cousin friends, you know. OK. Mm-hmm. Um, and endless supply of aunties and uncles um, <laughs> really related or is this one of those things where I just yeah. <laughs> you know so I, I I don't think that I noticed much of that um, okay. because all, most of my mom's friends were Ghanaian um, and you know when you become friends with another Ghanaian you're not exactly just friends. You're like family. Right. Kind of how right. it's also. I don't think I noticed because there was just such a strong community around us. That's a great thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did, um, would you say that food affected your adjustment at all? Like, would you call it a bridge between Ghana and America? So I'll say this. I didn't have a hard time transitioning here. That is so interesting to me. Because I was here for, I, I used to come back and forth a lot. Oh, true. My yeah. sister had a harder time adjusting. Okay, so what was your sister's situation? Uh, she hated American food. She, she hated just hated American food. So she what was it about American food that she I hated? I don't know. She just didn't like it. Um, until this day, she will not eat pancakes with syrup on it. I think, I think when <laughs> she had her first baby, like her hormones made her eat something with like uh, uh, syrup on it. I think she was just uh-huh. that hungry. But <laughs> yeah. on her own, my sister has had a battle with pancake, waffles, and anything syrup-related her whole childhood. She hates it. Um, well, that is actually really interesting to me because I, in the past, when I've had plantain dishes, they've been very sweet and almost like sticky and syrupy. But this kelawele is, it's actually not overly sweet. It has, it doesn't have a shimmery or a syrupy appearance. It has almost like a matte 
appearance and it's um it's like you said spicy right i mean i'm sure you make it spicier than i make it um and it's crispy so Mm -hmm. i actually have never been in contact with syrupy overly sweet plantains i'd be interested to know who's making it and why (laughs) (laughs) just plantains aren't dessert i think people Mm. want it sometimes they they, because it's sweet they maybe think like banana-y and very much uh, like banana foster kind of thing. And that's not how I've ever interacted with plantains. I hope to never have to interact with plantains. <laughs> that, um, but no, I've never counted them being like syrupy or anything like that. See, I, I, I don't, I know, I know they're much, very much like uh, bananas, but I don't compartmentalize them. Like to me, a banana is a fruit, plantain is a vegetable, but I'm also weird. And oh, I that is. Veggies in my, in my whole I don't mix fruit and veggies. Oh, okay. So tell me more about this. Is this like a, um, like, is this an actual like horticultural distinction that bananas are fruits and plantains are vegetable? In my world, they are. <laughs> really? In my world, bananas are fruit and uh, plantains are vegetables. But I believe, I mean, they're from the same kind of uh, yeah. plant family. Yeah, there's um, obvious I similarities between I them. Believe, and, and I believe, um, what is it like? It's like fruits have seeds. Yeah. Yeah. So a plantain would technically be classified as a fruit then. Right. But you treat it as a vegetable in the sense that you don't make sweet dishes out of it. Yeah. I, I don't think many people in my culture will view uh, plantains as fruit. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So part- I wonder if I've had Americanized versions of these dishes i don't i i don't know i mean <laughs> a lot of us are, they're side they're side dishes right so plantains with rice and chicken you know what i mean which mm-hmm. we'll talk about our love for starch at a later time but <laughs> always, yeah so right so, so do you remember learning how to make this dish or do you remember anything about you know times that you did make this dish yeah, yourself i i obviously wasn't cooking in ghana i was too young yeah um, but I made it here, um, my sister and I, and my mom, you know, and we had, my mom always had like a deep fryer. Um, so mm-hmm. that was, plantains were actually probably one of the first meals I learned how to make on my own. Um, and That's amazing to me. My mom, the, every time my sister and I kind of got in trouble, it was usually around making food we weren't authorized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spilling oil everywhere and then wiping well, that's... water, hoping she wouldn't see and then she fall <laughs> and then we get in trouble. You say this like it happened more than once. <laughs> to my sister. <laughs> well, yeah. I just, yeah, which I find amazing because I think I'm pretty free with my kids in the kitchen, but honestly, like hot oil and flame. Yeah. Hot oil is just, it's dangerous. It's messy. Um, I'm pretty impressed. That's one of the first things you learn to make. Yeah. I mean... Again, I moved up to, back to the United States when I was like nine, nine, yeah. ten. So I, yeah, I could use it. the deep fryer thing. You just plug it in. She always had oil in there, so you just cut it, put it in a little basket, and let it down, and then bring yeah, it back. Yeah, I suppose that is safer. Yeah. And every time we spilled oil, it wasn't because the oil was hot and we spilled it. Because my mom bought the Costco size like vegetable. <laughs> yes, and you weren't strong enough. Yeah, and so. That's really, we never spilled hot oil. It was the cold oil <laughs> that we weren't authorized to get. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. That was our after school. If there were plantains in the house, it was like our after school snack before our mom got home. Because I remember we had like a, like a 30 minute to an hour overlap of when we got home versus when my mom got home. Okay. So instead of doing our homework, we were frying plantains. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it strikes me as a very wholesome snack. It is. I, we thought it was too. Well, especially if you consider a plantain to be a vegetable. <laughs> Which it's totally not. <laughs> it's a fruit. So either way, either way it works. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, if you successfully made the plantains and your mom didn't, and you didn't mix the oil with water and your mom didn't slip, was she happy to come home and have them? Well, we never made some for her. <laughs> I think she always appreciated the fact that we can do stuff by ourselves. I mean, but what the killer willing was interesting was, remember, it, it requires using the blender, cutting onions and stuff. And so one of the first things like she actually did, we wouldn't use the fresh ginger and stuff anymore. So cop out way was she would she would season it with like the dry ginger and, and the you know, the cayenne and salt and pepper. And it would it would be OK, but it wouldn't be the same. But we weren't mm-hmm. didn't let us go near some of the kitchen appliances. Um, yeah, then you only had to deal with hot oil, not a blender. Well, she she didn't want us breaking her stuff because we were good at <laughs> <laughs> break all her stuff. Yeah. So in the survey that you filled out um, when you first told me about the dish, you said that um, it was the only thing you and your cousins were allowed to snack on um, while your aunties were getting the rest of the food together. So tell me a little bit about these events that you guys would have and um, – this rule well it wasn't necessarily a rule it was (laughs) we realized we could get away with this thing right so that's what we're going to do but usually uh so i want to say like they're not events but they are like when people come to visit Uh you know there's you know my aunts and my mom will always be cooking right so we you know we have the events and then I think what I look forward to more than the events are like the days before and the days after because you have family that comes early and then yes. later. So yes, up with set up and and those are my favorite memories growing up. It's still my favorite times now. So whenever yeah. that happens, literally, they're my aunts like are cooking and no matter what they're cooking, there's uh-huh. always someone making like plantains or Kelly Willie because as people are coming in, those are the quick those. I mean, it's the yeah. item that cooks the fastest. Yeah, and that's so, your hors d'oeuvre. Yeah, exactly. And so the goal is to get up there before everybody else does. Because <laughs> as you witnessed, there is no kind of moderation when it comes to eating them. It's like, you, oh, no, no, no. It's Yeah, um, but it's got to be a delicate balance because you also can't burn your fingers and your tongue on that hot oil. Yeah. So um, when, you know, if you read um, books or blog posts or whatever um, about hosting big events in America, People often tend to associate those with stress. There's a lot of stress associated with cooking. When your mom and your aunts got together and cooked, was it a stressful time for them or was this, um, I'll just leave the question at that. Was that a stressful time for them? Um, I don't think, I don't think, any, I don't think any of my aunts uh, are stressed out by cooking. Um, there may be things going on, stressful things going on that, kind of make people come together sometimes you know what I mean Mm, yeah funerals and things like that but I think when we get to that point where everybody's in the kitchen sitting at the counter you know 
Sometimes my uncle is the one that's cooking. Um, <laughs> it's always, it's sad, but joyous. And so it gives them time to kind of just talk things out. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, it's therapeutic. Yeah. You know, discussions and laughter. Somebody's like, look at this YouTube video that I found. Like, yeah, it's more, it's more, like you said, therapeutic, more, I have never associated any of those times with with stress or yeah. anxiety or anything like that. Even yeah. the reason that we were together, you know, like recently was a funeral, but mm. it was so much fun. Mm. Yeah. And would you say that has to do with the fact that maybe there's a little bit more vulnerability? So there's not so much as like people are putting on a front or are trying to put on a good show with their cooking or their hostessing. It really is about community. I think that, I think that's true. I think it, it's, it's mm. very much community, um, joy. Mm. Yeah. So. Mm. That sounds so wonderful. It is. Mm-hmm. Hey, there are no, uh, there is no pressure in mm-hmm. the regard it's like come yeah. as you are and don't come too dressed up because you're probably going to be doing something yeah yeah well yeah I want to talk about that a little bit also you mentioned that your uncle is a really good cook so is there a strong division of labor between men and women in the um Ghanaian communities you've been a part of or is everybody in the kitchen all together um I, I honestly I, I think it depends it depends on the family mm-hmm. um in general, like generally speaking, I tend to think it's much like every other society where a lot of the, that burden of kitchen and cooking is on women. Yeah. Um, my grandmother, however, has four sons and one daughter. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. And mm-hmm. I her, see where you're going with this because oh, I have four sons. <laughs> she does not. She does not care. Mm-hmm. If the, there's a chore and needs to get done and one of you needs to do it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uncle Mike likes to brag that he cooks and bakes better than my mom. So <laughs> Is little, it true? Um, yeah, actually, I don't know. I I wouldn't say it's. I think I think they're both really good cooks. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. He gets uh, a handicap as a man. Yeah. Um, but my grandmother had always said that she never wanted any any woman to hold food over her son's head. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I like she, that. She made sure they knew how to cook. I would say my uncle, my uncle tends to be a little more creative of a cook. Okay. And my mom, like he can put God knows what he finds in his freezer together and make a dish, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's a talent. Okay. So I noticed that you sent me to an international market to get Mm -hmm. these plantains. And you said that my local Harris Teeter probably wouldn't have them. Any reason why? Well, so in my experience, um, the international markets tend to have, and I, I don't know if you noticed when you went to um, Ifia, um mm-hmm. market, is they'll have two sections. One's with the green plantains mm-hmm. and one that's just ripe plantains. Mm-hmm. At like Costco, because they sell plantains at Costco, they bring them in when they're green. Yeah. And they take them out when they ripen. But, you know, you'll never go to the store and find bananas with the brown spots on. Um, mm-hmm. And they treat uh, what I find is a lot of like mainstream stores treat plantains that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas when they get those spots, that's perfect for you. That's perfect for me. And a lot of people like them, right? The U.S. is more accustomed to uh, Spanish dishes or mm-hmm. Hispanic dishes. And, you know, everybody knows tostones. 
right? Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. Eat. And so the green is is great for that, mm-hmm. um, you know. But the yeah, it's like if you're if you are like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make kelawele in like you know by next week, I'll just go to Costco and buy from Costco and let it sit and it'll like. Mm-hmm. All right. Good advice. Good advice. So um, talk to me about the measurements and the proportions in this recipe that you shared with me. Are they exact? Do people need to follow it precisely? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, I just had to make that clear. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, my, my people are not known for their uh, precise measuring when it comes to cooking. I actually asked my mom, are they like you know, specific measurements. Cause you know, I just make them however I want to. And she was like, measurements for what? <laughs> some onion and some ginger. Like, why are we having this conversation? I think I was annoying her. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And I actually joke with my sister. I'm like, one day I'm just going to watch them after cook and force them to measure things out so I can write it down and put it in a book for future generations. Because no one knows like how much, how much ginger, how much onion. My mom's yeah. like, however much you want. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's what I did for you, you know, and I have to say yours turned out absolutely perfectly. So we're going to go with your proportions. Okay, that works. And, you know, obviously, as with any recipe, spice is dependent on the person. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know you did that spice for me and my my European tongue, (laughs) Um, my Western blonde European tongue. (laughs) Oh, you can handle a lot more than you think. Oh, oh, I thank you. I'm I'm kind of flattered by that statement, actually. Yeah, I did go light. Let's, don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Thanks. It was perfect for me. And yeah, we ate them up in no time. So um, what should we eat with Kailuele? What would you eat Kailuele with in Ghana? Well, it depends. As a snack, peanuts. You just yeah, mm. some peanuts and go. Um, mm. My mom. I think it's her peanuts that she eats from like Costco, mm-hmm. like salted ones or whatever. Um, I actually eat them just by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they're perfect for me to kind of just put in a little container and just munch on when I dry it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people eat them with, um, we have a bean stew, it's black eye, it's black eyed pea stew. Um, in Ghana, like there's a, it's called a red red. Mm-hmm. Um, people eat it with plantains. Not necessarily, doesn't have to be kilowilly, but it can be just regular plantains that they'll eat that stew with, um, mm-hmm. you know, like raw, they would just eat it raw, eat raw, raw, raw plantains. No, yeah. j- no, not raw. You never eat plantain raw under any circumstance. You don't. So you wouldn't just yeah. peel it with a banana and eat it. That's not healthy. No. Oh, really? Why? Um, you don't eat plantains raw. Well, okay. Let me not, let me say this. I've eaten, I've like been hungry enough that if I cut up like Kelly Willie, I'll just pop one in and eat uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. But I, the green plantain, my mom says you'll get a stomach ache if you eat them raw. Um, oh. But I, I, I have not had that verified by a doctor and I have not dared to do it. Okay. Um, but generally, I, I don't know a single culture that eats plantains raw. Okay. So that's like, another way that they differ from bananas. Yeah. You can, you can boil them, you can fry them, you can bake them. Uh huh. But you can't eat them raw. Interesting. Okay. So I loved actually the um, kelawele with the peanuts. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I have such a, um, I don't have a sweet tooth, but I have a very strong salt fat tooth. <laughs> and, you know, I love my chips and yes. I salty. heavily, say it again. Sweet and salty. 
Yeah. Well, I'm going to wrap it up with this question. When is the next time you anticipate making Kelowele and who will you be making it for? Actually, our plantains here. My sister uh, is here. Uh-huh. Uh, um, actually, I am anticipating. I want to get an air fryer and try uh-huh. the air fryer. Tell me how that goes. I will. That yeah. sounds good. You take after both your mother and your grandmother in your entrepreneurial spirit. Is this <laughs> true? Somewhat, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I would love for you to tell my listeners about um, your business. Okay. So I make... Um, bows and hair accessories for girls and women. Um, it's called Aj Creates. Do you have a passion for continuing and representing the Ghanaian culture with your business? Yeah. So <clears throat> when I started, I um, my sister and I were trying to find ways to incorporate pieces of our culture um, into my niece's kind of everyday life. Because just growing up, when we were just talking about like how much we loved wearing our traditional you know, clothing and cloth now, but growing up when we had to wear it to church or outside of our home, we'd be like so mortified. Mm. Um, and part of it was because we just wanted to not be different. Mm. We wanted to be just like every other kid. And, you know, and when, you know, you go out, people kind of marvel because, you know, the bright colors and the dresses, mm-hmm. people kind of marvel at it. And when you're little, um, I don't think we saw it as marveling. We saw mm. it as gawking mm-hmm. and um we didn't want to be we didn't want any part of it so we kind of shied away and then like you know it would come from ghana and you know my grandma would pick the style and <laughs> imagine you know your grandma <laughs> picking your style at like seven and twelve it never came out good we we were like well what is what we were thinking or bring them what are ways we could slide this in so that my niece amani just grows up with this and so mm-hmm. that she's aware it's not weird to her or it's not different it's just something she's always done it's just in talking and just looking um at you know some of my craft groups and what people are doing they were making bows i was like i can make headbands you know i can yeah you can (laughs) and and then even realized that even in my craft groups when they were um just bows being made not even out of like like cloth like i was um doing but just with the faux leather and all these other kind of materials, the characters on it mm-hmm. weren't very diverse. So I thought, well, there's another piece to, to kind of add in. So I started working and getting leathers and things made that had a wider range of characters on it. Because I was like, I want my niece to see this too. And then from there, it kind of just blossomed into, you know, what can I do? I really love color. I love um, <laughs> coordinating colors. I think you actually have a little bit of a genius for color. That's you, a compliment. Wow. Well, thank you. But yeah, I, I, I do. I, I really think you do have a genius for colors, though. I'm always amazed at what you put together. They're not things that I would have guessed, but they look so beautiful. Which was actually uh, really hard for me uh, growing up because my, I just felt like everybody mentioned how dark my skin was and I didn't want anybody to notice. And I felt like bright color drew too much attention to me and, you know, maybe people were making fun of me. So actually for the most part of my sophomore and junior year and even senior year of high school, I only wore black and brown. I did not wear bright colors until college where I was like, I don't even care anymore. (laughs) And then, you know, and, you know, 
people were like, oh my gosh, that color looks great on you. And then ever since then, I was like, I'm going to wear whatever I want. Oh, yeah. I'm so yeah. glad you decided that. I'm so glad you decided that. And I do think your bows, the variety is yeah. incredible. Thank I mean, you. you have them for every occasion. You have them for sports teams. Like you said, you have fabrics that um, represent all races. And um, that's so important. Yeah, it is. Um, Want to brand yourself so that people know who you are and what you stand for which I think I love all things black girl um, and making sure that black girls see themselves. Um, but I also want to make sure that my black girl pride, black girl magic doesn't take away from anybody else's. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, or anybody else feel like, well, she doesn't care about me. So, you know, no, no, I think, yeah, no, your line represents inclusion. I don't think there is any race that could ever feel excluded from your line of bows ever and tell our listeners exactly where they can find you anywhere and everywhere they can find you. Oh, okay. Um, you can find me. I am on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and I have a website. Um, it's <laughs> www.ajcreates.com. A D J C R E A T E S www.ajcreates.com. And if you can't find me, chances are I'm on the story recipes, <laughs> Instagram, commenting on food that Becky is not feeding me. Yes. If anybody needs to get in touch with Ajwa for either a custom order or um, an existing boat, then just find me at the storied recipe and reach out to me. I would love to connect you with her. Ajwa, I cannot thank you enough for your time, for sharing your story, for being so open and vulnerable, for giving us so many great tips and for making me Kelawele. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited um, to, to be a part of this, to be the very first one. And you know, I'll never let you live that down. <laughs> nope. so, thank you. I don't even want you to. You are the perfect first guest. Have, <laughs> a, <laughs> have a great day, Ajwa. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Ajwa for being the perfect first guest. You can find her recipe for Kelawele on my website, thestoriedrecipe.com. On my website, you can also find weekly episodes released every Wednesday, or you can subscribe via your favorite player. You can join the Storied Recipe community by following me over on Instagram and tagging any of these recipes with hashtag storiedrecipe. My guests love to see their cherished recipes enjoyed by others. Finally, please know that I truly believe everyone has a story to share, and I would love to hear and photograph yours. Please reach out. And in the meantime, have a great week, my friends.